And uh, before we just get to the preach this morning, while you're just feeling so good and, and, uh, and so excited and awesome, there's a scripture running around in my head, and I think it relates to what we were doing today, and I just need to check it quickly. Um, yes, let me just read this quickly, because it's just in line with everything that we're saying. You know, it's the most awesome thing to be alive right now, because the world has not seen what God's about to do right now, and I, I, I feel such a... I was telling Jane this morning, this whole week I've just been getting stirred in my heart with, you know, with God when he, when he um, told Sarah she was going to have a child. You know, we all know how old uh, Abraham was and how old Sarah was. That doesn't mean Jane and I are very old. Um, amen. 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 <laughs> but, but what happens is that Hagar could produce kids quite quickly and quite easily, but, but Sarah took a while. And I felt like the Lord saying he's been doing a work and he's been working in people's lives and it's, you might not have been able to see the kids. Well, they're about to start popping out, and uh, he's about to establish something and do something awesome, and, and I just want to quickly read a scripture to you in light of everything that I've said, it just helps you, it's always good to take the word of God and just emphasize something, amen? So let me just read the word of God, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just reading from verse 9, it says, uh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So I don't know what lies you've been listening to, I don't know what Bible you've been reading, I don't know what journey you've been walking, I don't know what the, the devil's been trying to speak to you, but God's power is made perfect in weakness. So if you've kind of been trying to get your act together and trying to sort your life out, then you've actually been stopping his power. Oh, that won't go down well on TV. That doesn't sell a book, you see, because you need to go and read a book, you need to go study, you need to go do something. You need to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. My Bible tells me that the minute we went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is when everything hit the fan. Let's go to Jesus. Listen to this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Church, he's not saying here that these are people that are just struggling through and that we're coping and we're dealing with our weaknesses. They're actually rejoicing and glad. It's a whole different mindset. It's like, yoo-hoo, guess what happened? Man, I felt so weak today. <laughs> they're actually rejoicing that they're not actually powerhouses. Ooh, this would be novel in church life. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what rest upon me, that word is there? It actually means, in the, in the Greek, it means tabernacle. Do you know that if you're born again, every single one of us has the Holy Spirit within inside of us? So the Holy Spirit leads us and He helps us. But you know something about Holy Spirit? He comes upon you for a purpose. And generally, the Holy Spirit comes upon you for a purpose, whatever, and then He lifts off. He's in you all the time, but He lifts off. Yeah, you can get Him to tabernacle. He can come upon you and stay on you. He's always inside of you. He's always leading you. He's always walking. But He can stay. He can tabernacle on you. Man, do you want the Holy Spirit to tabernacle on you? Well, then stop being so strong. So this guy, he's crazy. I thought he's supposed to be stirring us up to be stronger. No, I'm, I'm stirring you up to be weaker. For the sake of Christ then, I am confident, or no, what does it say? I am content with weaknesses, insults, which is reproach, somebody giving, throwing insults at you, 
hardships or needs, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Woo. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's like, what is that, a catch-22? Surely you must be one or the other. No, when I am weak, then I'm also strong because when I am weak, he is strong because his power is now made perfect in my weakness. Here's the con. Here's the con job of the church, and I'll get to the preach. Here's the con job that the church has been sold by the enemy. We think that by getting more and more mature in God, as we get more and more mature in God, so we're getting leaner, meaner, stronger, so we are the, the six-pack is emerging out of the cool box a little bit. <laughs> Instead of a six-pack, now we've actually got a seven-pack. It's perfect. Now we're so strong. Now, oh, we, I can do it. Man of God can do everything. He's all powerful. Friends, it's the biggest lie and the biggest load of garbage you've ever heard. The, the more mature you get, the more you realize how weak you are. The more mature you get, you realize your, more you realize your failings. The difference is the more mature you get, you realize your failings, but you realize how big he is. That's maturity, friends. Not us getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And a guy who's really mature and strong in the Lord's got a six-pack. He's got muscles ripping and he can do everything. It's garbage. Maturity in God is going to a place where you more and more realize how weak we are, more and more realize how in ourselves we are nothing. But how more and more in Him we are everything. He becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. He becomes our everything. He becomes our delight. Amen. That's what we're journeying, that's what we're walking. For those that maybe didn't understand the wording or what was being said this morning, is the reality is, friends, the way we deal with our battles, friends, is we go and we worship Him. So they always dealt with their battles. Send the singers first. They weren't cannon fodder. All they've got is singers. Just let them go forward. They can get shot and killed, whatever, and that the oaks will come afterwards when the enemies run out of bullets. Because sometimes that's what we do, friends. We think praise and worship is just something that we do, whatever, and that the real big guns have got to come afterwards. The praise and worship, friends, is the real big guns. They're the ones. Because we've got a relationship with him as we believe him. We delight in him. We trust in him. Amen. I could go on so much on that. The, this church has a dream. And the enemy has really tried as hard as he can to squash. And he has filled, tried to fill this balloon of this, of this church with a whole bunch of hot air. But the reality is, friends, that God is blowing helium like you can't believe into the balloon. And this balloon is rising and when it rises to accomplish all that God's got for it, man, woo, it's a good time to be alive. Amen. So now what I'm going to do is, uh, let me just say this quickly, and please, no offense to anybody, uh, and uh, don't wobble, and it's all glorious and all good, so now you're really paying attention to what I'm about to say now. And that's simply to say this, you know, in, in, in this world, and as we go through life and we deal with stuff and matters and whatever, and, and there's trends and there's seasons and there's things that happen, and due to the environment that we walk in and what the world thinks, whatever, things change according to that. So today, just as a simple illustration, whatever, in fashion today, we've got clothing and jeans and tops and everything, whatever, that look like they've been shattered. And, um, and, uh, and years gone by, friends, we would have thrown them into the cupboard as rags. But today, it's now fashion. What am I saying? Because James, no. <laughs> so don't everyone cover their, whatever their jeans are and whatever they're wearing now. All I'm saying is that in days gone by, that would have been a rag and it would have been no good. And, and now in today's age, it's the trend. It's, it's, we're cooking if we're wearing that kind of stuff, right? But I want to encourage us this morning, whatever, that the Word of God is not like that. 
It doesn't flow with trends and fashions and, 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 and fads and what we think and what really goes down well with nice. The truth stays and remains the same, friends. It's a pillar. It's our, it's, 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 our, it's our rock. It's what we grab hold of, whatever, and everything else. We can be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine unless we grab hold of truth. And we grab hold of truth, it's a stake in our lives. So I want you to put your Bibles down to uh, 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 relax and to shake. Uh, just, okay, I'm ready. And uh, don't worry. Uh, I'm going to give you some truth here today. It's probably going to shatter your mind. might make you feel uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe, but the reality is, friends, it's truth. It's been the same ever since the beginning of time, and that's why I'm going back to the beginning of time. Um, so it's going to be a long morning. No, I'm going back to, to share with you, but I want you just to relax. We've taken up the offering. We've, uh, you don't have to now go and get all, you can just relax. Just listen and open your hearts to whatever God wants to say, amen. We've been talking about delighting in the Lord, all kinds of uh, different sermons on all, a bunch of stuff, whatever. This morning I'm gonna talk about delighting in the Lord with your finances. And I'm only preaching on it because Jesus spoke, talked the most on finances more than anybody else, and so it's always a wonderful subject, and uh, the way to a man's heart is through his wallet, no. The reality is if you pull the string, generally you target something. So, so let's, let's jump into this. Let me, let me quickly start off with this right in the very beginning. God created Adam and Eve. When he created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and he gave them all the, 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 the blessing and he had planted the garden himself, put them in there, he said, now you work in there and you just flourish and you do. And then he, he declared something over their life which was so powerful. He said, now I want you to be fruitful. Fruitful. Be blessed. Be fruitful. Uh, you know, flourish. And I also want you to multiply and I want you to fill the earth and then I also, what I want you to do is I want you to subdue, take dominion. I'm giving you authority. I'm, I'm blessing you. I'm, I'm promising you this is all going to be, this is all yours. And you're just going to subdue it and be fruitful and fill it. And, and, it's, and it's awesome. And Adam and Eve said, cool. Right? And they went about and they were doing great stuff. And they were talking with the Lord and having fun and walking in the garden and doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then the enemy came in. And uh, let me quickly throw out these things because we, 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 we read this like a kindergarten story. It's actually the reality of how the earth started. Is that a snake appeared. Now, let me just, if you can just understand that they didn't really even know, they didn't know evil. They, there was no reference point to snakes or evil. We, snakes bite and they got poison, so they're a reference. There's no evil here, friends. And there's no reality here that this snake had been hanging around them. For a long time, he just like kind of appeared. So it was, it was, it, it was out of the blue, came out of the blue, um, or out of the blue, out of the green, or out of the whatever. And, uh, and it began to speak to them and chat to them. Obviously, they weren't very comfortable with that, that it could chat as well. So I mean, I have no idea. I want to see the picture of how creation was operating in those days and all of that. But, but they were having great fun. And there was a simple fact that overrides everything in that reality, friends. They had faith in God. They trusted God. So you can't trust unless you've got faith. The minute I say to you, the minute I come to Jane and say, okay, you can't have that. Now she's got a decision to make. And now there's faith because she's either got to trust me because now I've told her she can't have something. So she's got to trust me or she's not going to do what I said to do, right? They trusted God. Everything that God told them, whatever, they trusted Him. 
They loved him, they just followed him. Then the enemy came in through the snake and he whispered something into their ear and said, God's not really like that. You see, God creates a garden. He creates everything, puts it all in place. It's all very beautiful. And then he puts something right in your way, right in your face, right in the middle of the garden. And he says, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you can't have it. That is the best way to know whether there's faith and whether there's trust. Because you see, they were all, oh, it's all wonderful. I love Jesus. He's all fine, whatever, and that. Oh, that's a nice tree. No, you can't have that. Why not? No, because um, God just said that's, you, that's, not, that's not helpful for you to have that. Okay, I trust him. It's lovely. La, la, la. No, they didn't. They went, hmm, hmm. I think I'm going to go Google this. <laughs> Why can't I have this? I'm sure there's somebody out there that's got the same opinion as me. You see, what that simply meant to them every time they saw that, I feel like a ballerina now. Oh, <laughs> every time they saw that, Get back to my matcha. Every time they saw that, <laughs> they were moved. Now, every time they saw that, friends, they realized that who God was, he was master. He was in control. He was in charge. And then you got to ask yourself this question. They were created by God. They were put in the garden. Were they given a relationship with God automatically? Was it deposited into them? Or did they have to walk like we walk to get to know God? Because my Bible basically tells me they didn't know God. Because the devil said, no, God's trying to hold something from you. He's trying to do you harm. If you do what he's telling you to do, you're going to get less. Okay. Now, if you, if you look in, in, the, in the Bible and you look at Genesis, Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's the book of origins is where everything starts, so we always go back there, um, and the Bible says uh, it's the law of first mention, if you understand that. The law of first mention, if you can go into the Bible and you find out when something was first mentioned, that's the most purest and clearest understanding of that word or what's mentioned there in the Bible. So like, for instance, with Jesus, with Paul, if they talked about marriage, they went back to Genesis. Talk about marriage, right? Because that's where it was the purest. If you ever want to kind of talk to people about marriage and have a little chat about marriage in the day that we're living in, don't talk about current trends and all this, that, and the other. Go back to Genesis and find out how, what marriage actually is all about, right? Yeah. It's between a man and a woman. And they knew that they were a man and they knew that they were a woman, right? Okay? Let's not go there. Um, so I want to go, just go back into the beginning, whatever, and just pull some things out and just have a look at it. You're all relaxed, you're all, you're all calm, all good, okay? So if we go to Genesis chapter 14, quickly go to Genesis chapter 14. You can just pop in your Bibles there. Genesis chapter 14, there's an incredible story there. Um, there's, uh, there's a battle that goes on between uh, four kings. They fight five kings, and um, uh, the four kings win, and they, they, they beat up the five kings, and in the five kings... There's, do um, um, you remember the story of Sodom? Uh, king of Sodom, he's, he gets defeated, 
And you know that uh, Abraham's cousin Lot is, is in, lives in Sodom. Okay, so then these kings, they, they win the battle and they take all the spoils and they take Lot and all his possessions and they take them with, with them, right? So um, Abraham now has to, he says, no, he has to go uh, and he has to get the whole lot back, right? This is a tough crowd. Okay. <laughs> so he goes, and he goes, and he fights uh, with the four kings, whatever, and he defeats them, and he gets all the plunder and the spoils, and now he's bringing it back, right? He's bringing lots and all the possessions back, and uh, when he comes back, uh, let's read from verse, uh, Genesis 14, verse 17. After his return from the defeat of the and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavar, which is uh, King's Valley, basically is what it means. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Let's unpack this. The king of Sodom, come, Sodom comes out to meet him, and, uh, and he, uh, he says thank you to Abraham for what he's done. And then the, the Melchizedek, the king of Salem, uh, arrives on the scene, and, uh, and he begins to bless Abraham. And then when he blesses Abraham, Abraham's, or Abram's response is to give him a tenth of everything, right? So three things here very quickly. There are three key things that are mentioned here. The first one is Jerusalem. Jerus the first time Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible. It's the king of Salem. Salem is another word for Jerusalem, king of righteousness, peace. Jerusalem, in the Bible, if you study it and, and have a look at it, and if you look at uh, Psalms where it talks about the city of God, it's the house of God. Um, as you go through the scriptures, Galatians chapter 4, Revelations 21, it, it's the New Testament church, right? The New Jerusalem that comes down. So Jerusalem is a picture of the New Testament church. So it's the first time Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible, so we've got to take note of that. Um, and then the uh, second thing is the word priest is mentioned for the first time. So, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed them, right? So here, the first time it mentioned the word priest, which is a minister of God, he was not only a priest, but he was also a king. So he was a royal priest. Follow me. He was a royal priest. Um, he, he's basically, in this context here, he's introducing us to a royal priesthood. Okay? Um, Melchizedek brings out bread and wine, which is a picture of the new covenant. Okay? And then um, Melchizedek also just appeared... After the battle, he was not part of the four kings or the five kings. He just appeared from, from out of nowhere. He just came and he um, began to speak to, to Abraham and bless Abraham. And Abraham's response to him was uh, um, to give him a tithe. Hebrews 7, if you go and study Hebrews 7 for the sake of time this morning, we won't. But Hebrews 7 tells us that Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus. Okay? Um, follow me. I'm going through it quickly. So the first time, Jerusalem, priest, and then also tithe. Uh, Abraham gives Melchizedek a tithe of everything, 
And if you go into Hebrews 7, you'll see, I think it's verse 4, where it actually tells us that he's talking about the spoils and the plunder of the, of the, the victory that they just wrought. So of all the spoils and plunders, after he's conquered these four kings, he comes back, and, uh, and then his response to that is he gives him um, a tithe. Okay, so three things that can be seen here. The first thing we've got to catch in this story. That's what I'm saying. Just relax and just hear what I'm telling you so that your mind isn't wandering somewhere else. Take your mind captive right now because your brain might have got uh, 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 mindsets, friends. Pull down every vain, imaginary, lofty thought. Whatever you have thought, whatever you've entrenched in here, I don't care if you went to Bible college. I'm just reading you the word and I'm trying to unravel the word of God. I'm not trying to ruffle feathers. I'm not trying to get money out of you. We've taken the offering. You can relax. What I'm trying to do is simply say, just know the word and know truth. That's all. I'm just saying, just get knowledge and understand knowledge. Because we've got to actually, if we know truth, then it sets us free. Amen. So I'm just, I'm sharing this straight from the Bible. The first thing is that it was a voluntary response. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says Melchizedek asked for it. There's nowhere in the Bible that says even God asked for it. This is a voluntary response from Abraham. Just out of, just voluntarily, he just, he decides to tithe, right? It seems to be a willing response. A response to what is the key thing here? A response. Well, it's the first time in the Bible that Abraham is exposed to or showed or revealed uh, one of the names of God. Abraham has been led by God. He's been blessed by God. He's been protected by God. He's even been helped by God to defeat his enemies, but it's the first time now God begins to reveal who he is. If you have a look there, it says, blessed be Abraham by, so who's blessing Abraham? God, most high, which simply in, in, the, in the Hebrew there is El Elyon. El meaning God, Elyon meaning most high. Like El Shaddai, El God Shaddai Almighty. El Olam El God Olam means eternal, the eternal God, the almighty God, most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, right? So God's beginning to reveal his character, his nature, and who he is. Yeah, so it's the first time that Abraham discovers God's name. And then the second thing is, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So the second thing is he's responding to what God has done. So there's a completely voluntary response here, and it's a voluntary response on who God is, and it's a voluntary response on what God has done, right? And he voluntarily gives a tithe, okay? This, the other thing that we can learn from this thing here, and just understand this, I'm just giving you truth, is that Abraham, as far as we know in terms of the word of God, never tithed again. Okay, as far as we know, there's no evidence in the Bible that this was an ongoing practice. He just responded voluntarily to God in response to who God is and to what God had done, whatever. He gave a tenth of everything, right? Okay, and then lastly, which is important in here, is that the tithe was given to a man. I know I'm hitting cows, but... I'm a good cow herder, and I'll herd them in the right direction, I promise. The tithe was given to a man. Just understand this. Every other offering up to this point had been presented to God via burnt offerings. Everything else had been a fragrance to God. They brought it, and they burnt it as a fragrance to the Lord. This is the first time he brings it. He brings an offering to the Lord, and he gives it to a man. 
Okay? Just, so Abel, Cain, Noah, they, none of them actually, they burnt their offerings. This is now he's bringing an offering to a man. The tithe was not burnt up, it was brought to a man. The man was a priest and a king. One who provided governmental leadership and spiritual service. So the tithe was not burnt up, it was used to aid a place called Jerusalem. The city of God, place of God, his house. And it served to benefit and strengthen that city on the earth where God's royal priesthood operated. You can't make this up, friends. This is the Bible. Okay? Now, why was it very significant that Abraham initiated this practice? What's very significant here is not Adam, not Enoch, not Noah, but Abraham initiated this. Why? Abraham in the New Testament is called the father of our faith. He's the father of faith. Abraham initiates this. In Galatians chapter 3, you can read it in verse 8. Galatians 3 says that he is the one that had the gospel preached to him in advance. In Romans chapter 4, Romans verse 4, 12 is the, is the one I want to get to. But if you read Romans 4 for the sake of time, I'm just going through this a little bit quickly. Romans 4 tells us that as a New Testament believer, we follow, we walk in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Literally, that wording is in Romans 4. You need to, to go have a look. I'm not, this, I'm not just... Uh, Paraphrasing here, it's literally in the, because it says here, before Abraham was circumcised in obedience to God's command, before he offered his son on the altar in obedience to God, Abraham tithed. Not as a result, friends, of a commandment, but a voluntary response to who God is and his promises of undeserving blessing. He tithed in response to a covenant of grace. He tithed in faith. Then moving on very quickly from there, we don't see the word again, the word tithed in the Bible, and we jump all the way to Genesis 28. Genesis 28, now we jump to, to um, uh, Jacob. Um, so I'm just giving you what the Bible is, this is not the very beginning. Let's turn to Genesis 28. This is the next time it's mentioned. This is uh, talking about uh, Abraham's grandson. Uh, it says there, verse, first couple of verses, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, for you must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Padan Aram to the house of Padan Aram, no, Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful, and multiply you, that you may become a company of people. May he bless the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, and that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus, Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the brother of. Can you, I'm just trying to follow a trend here. Uh, God makes Adam and Eve, and he blesses them, and he says, multiply and subdue, and I'm going to bless you, and it's going to be all. Then he comes to Abraham and he, and he blesses him and he says, I'm going to multiply and bless you, whatever. And he comes now to, to um, Jacob, whatever, and he says exactly the same. The blessing is following here and it's following here not because they're doing anything. It's a covenant of grace. It's because of grace and the Bible, and we can go read it and unpack it and whatever. It's simply because it's faith in what God has spoken and what God has said, right? It's a response to who he is. Okay, unpacking quickly. Uh, um, um, and then we see the beautiful, let me just see, read some, some of it. 
then Jacob, verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it underneath his head and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And he begins to declare blessing. Um, so uh, verse, uh, um, was that 18? So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was actually Luz um, at first. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and he will keep me in this place and, I'll, and, and, and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and the stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth. Second time that the word is spoken. Let's quickly have a look at that. God meets with Jacob. He promised him the same unmerited favor that he's given to Abraham. And like Abraham, Jacob's voluntary response is to the promises of God, and he tithes. Right? Three things. Tithing is a voluntary response to who God is and what he has promised. Two, Jacob gives, uh, promises to give a tithe on everything God ever gives him. So now the tithe is no longer a once-off, but it's an ongoing practice for Jacob. Number three, the tithe is somehow associated to the house of God, to Bethel. This is the first time we ever see the house of God mentioned. Now, the word house can have two meanings in Hebrew. It literally means a man's house, and it can also mean a household or a family. And what does Jacob do? He pours oil on the stones and calls that place God's house. First time we see mentioned that God has a family, that God is a father, and the uh, first time we see mentioned that God, it's a place where God and man meet. It's a place where heaven and earth meet. It's the city of the anointed stone. It's the first time that oil is mentioned in the Bible. Oil represents the anointing of God, the empowering presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Jacob anoints the pillar of stone with oil. Another picture of Jesus. And the New Testament church. By the way, if you go to John chapter 1, I think it's verse 51, you'll realize that when Jacob has that dream and the, the, the ladder with the, the angels up descending and, and the Lord's, that's a picture of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. John chapter 1, I think it's verse 51. So there's Melchizedek, picture of Jesus. There's the ladder, picture of Jesus. He anoints the stone with oil, the oil representing Holy Spirit, and the stone representing what? Jesus. He's the cornerstone. We are the living stones, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Peter said this, Jesus, the living stone, we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house to become a holy or a royal priesthood. It's all in there. So what do these two things show us about tithing? They are filled with a prophetic picture of Jesus and the New Testament church. A large number of people associate tithing with the law and with Moses. It is true in the Bible that a vast majority of the references refer to the law when it relates to tithing. But I'm talking about something that's way before the law. This is something that God put in the Bible 430 years before the law ever came about. 
So these two references in Genesis, they introduce tithing to us not from an old covenant point of view. They, they, they introduce tithing to us from an Old Testament point of view, right? They lived under the promise of undeserved favor and grace as a voluntary act responding to who God is and what He promised. They, in their response, they tithe. Their relationship with God was based on grace. They brought their wealth to a place where it would strengthen and establish a city on the earth where God and man could meet. God's house, God's city. The gate of heaven where God's royal priesthood operated. Now tithing is not mentioned again until Leviticus. We can jump if you want to quickly. I'll just I'll drop this in and then pull this together. It's just so it can help you how it ties in again. Tithing is not mentioned again until the book of Leviticus. When God, God delivers his law to Moses and where God establishes a new form of relationship. The only reason, and we clearly understand that, the only reason why God established a new form of relationship because man was so stubborn, he kept going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He would not believe God was so good. He would not believe that it's good enough and that all you need is the tree of life. He kept wanting to do it himself to the point where eventually he was actually saying, no, we were able, tell us what to do and we will just go and we'll do it for you, Lord. And God said, they're not getting it. Now the reality is it didn't surprise God. So he had this plan right from the beginning of time, but I, I'm just trying to help us so we understand as a father, who's going like, okay, they're not getting it, so he puts it in the law. Friends, the law is not evil. The law is the standard of God. And by the way, he put tithing into the standard of God. But now something changes, relationship changes. Now God says, listen, if you think you can do it, this is what you've got to get. This is what you've got to do in order to get it. So now tithing is no, now is no longer uh, just voluntary. It's now compulsory. If you want to receive the favor and the blessing of the Lord, right? I'm just telling you, this is the word of God, okay? So, so now tithing is no longer a voluntary response to God's grace, but, the, but now it's a, it's a law, it's compulsory, it's a command to get the favor and the blessing of God. If you go and read Leviticus 27, uh, the whole of the chapter, you can see it explains everything really well. I could touch for you on two verses. Um, Just if you read, say verse, let me read verse, let's say verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. So what, let me just read that one. So 10% of the income or labor and 10% of the investment or increase was to be given to the Lord. Just by the way, God defines now. Remember, it's just a tithe. We kind of don't know. It's a tenth. We just, we just heard this word. It's been thrown out in the Bible, and we've just been, it's been given to us. Now, you go to Leviticus. It's put into the law. When it's put into the law, it has to be exact. So what he does is he explains what a tithe is. And then when he explains what a tithe is, he said, a tithe isn't just your income. You can stone me later. I'm just reading the word, friends. We've got so far from the word. That we now wear jeans that I should be in the, no. <laughs> Let's not go there. Could get stoned for that. Um, the reality, friends, is that what he's saying here, sim simply put, 
is that he begins to define what actually tithing is. And if you go into the New Testament, you'll find that the Pharisees stood up and they bragged that they did this. How many know if you brag that you do it, it must be a good thing because you're trying to brag to God? You don't go before God and say, listen, Lord, I stole, you know, I beat that oak up. You normally say something that's really good. So they bragged and they said, hey, listen, I tithe of everything, not just my income, not just, I tithe of everything. I tithe of my investments, my increases, my, of everything that, that I, any increase that I get, I tithe of it. Whoa, you're so impressive. The sad part was Jesus didn't say you were so impressive, but he didn't say that, that was a shocking thing to, to do. Now, if you want to be, we'll unpack and get there, but I can't do it in one session, so I'm just going quickly through this. So 10% was automatically God's property. So how can God, who owns everything, own 10%? Let me give you a clue. The answer is found in what he says, that the tithe is to be used for. The tithe is holy. What does holy mean? It's holy to the Lord, devoted, set apart for a special use. Well, what was the tithe used for? Was it to be burnt or was it to be brought? It was to be brought. Numbers 18, following the Bible and how it was all worked, Numbers 18 is where God begins to instruct Moses, uh, through Moses to instruct Aaron and a Levitical priesthood is set up and the Levitical priesthood was there to uh, look after the sanctuary and take care of things and and. and their portion was the tithe. So their responsibility was to look after the house of God, take care of things, take care of the people of God, spiritually take care of them, and, 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 and their portion was the tithe. Honestly, I want to put this in a book. Because the, the more we're moving into modern day times, the more this understanding is going further and further away until everyone's got an opinion. I'm just giving you the Bible. I'm not giving you my opinion. Right? Help me, Lord. I'm feeling the flames. So you can read all the rest, and you can go to Numbers uh, verse 14, 18, verse 14, 21. You can read it. So basically the tithe was used to finance the Levites and their families. They could give their full time to providing the spiritual service and leadership to God's people. Um, and that's kind of how it all unfolded. I don't want to go through too much there. Um, and the reality is when you go through the whole Bible, the, the Levites never had an inheritance in the land. The reason why they never had an inheritance in the land is because they never could gather together as a tribe. The tribe were all given their inheritance. They all gathered together, this tribe, that tribe, and they were given an inheritance to go and conquer him. But the Levites could never gather together because they were scattered around in every single part of the land and every single city because they're there to look after the house of God and be spiritually oversight over the people of God. The inheritance was in the tithe. You can't make this up. Jumping quickly. What happens is, is that over time, Amos chapter 4, you can read it, Malachi 3, um, and even in the New Testament, Matthew 23, Luke 11, and even Luke 18, it's related to a, a heart matter that gets out of hand. Suddenly he begins to nail the heart. He says, listen guys, you, you're losing the plot here. I'm talking about the heart here. Because in the very beginning, what was it? It was a response to who God is friends. We go, now, but I've tried this thing. I've tried tithing. It doesn't work. 
because God hasn't come through for me and hasn't done this, that, and the other. Well, I want to tell you, right, you've, you've lost a key element there. It's called the heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says you can give everything away. And if you don't have love, you gain nothing. There's a heart matter here, church, that we've got to understand. Tithing is not a law, and it is not a commandment that we have to now go and obey. If you do that, friends, then you've lost the understanding of why they tithe. They tithe in a response of knowing God. The reason why Adam and Eve went and ate from the tree they were told not to have, friends, which was holy, and it was set apart for a particular purpose that was harmful to them, friends, was... Uh, they, they were not meant to have a, a knowledge of good and evil. They were meant to just have faith and a trust in God. Jesus came back and he became our wisdom. Now, I'm not saying you mustn't go to varsities and study and do all that. Friends, that never will replace that God is first and primary and that he is our wisdom and that we look to him for everything, friends. We don't look to our wisdom or anything else. But if you keep going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, friends, that'll get in the way of you knowing God. See, the reality is here, friends, you can't serve two masters, and that was the challenge. Money was always going to be a master. So over time, friends, as you look through the Bible and as you journey through this, money became, became a master. And then they would only tithe, friends. They were tithe because they had to. So what happens when they had to tithe, friends, then suddenly they gave the sheep with a squonky ear and the one eye. Because I had to. So let me have a look now. That guy that's blind, battered, deaf, one leg, give him because suddenly it was another master. So now it was a heart issue, friends. Whew. So this morning we can leave with a whole bunch of information, whatever, and we can get ticked off and say, oh dear God, why did I come to the service once a year when God talks, when Grant talks about money? <laughs> I knew this morning, I had just a feeling on my heart I should sleep in bed, no. The reality is I don't talk about this very often, friends, because I let God talk. But I'm also, I'm so tired of sitting amongst pastors too and they're making excuses and they're changing the word of God and truth and they're fiddling and faddling around whatever and most pastors are going back to work. And I have no problem going back to work, but I will not go back to work on a lie. There's no problem, friends. The reality is, friends, there's only one tribe of Levites and there was 11 other tribes. The reality, friends, is only a few of us here can go full-time. Right? The majority of us here are going to be out in the workplace working and doing a bunch of stuff. Friends, you're just as powerful, just as anointed, just as gifted as me. It's just different functions. Somebody's got to have this function. Friends, and we can dilute this function and begin to just say, oh, it's not that important, whatever, so why don't you go back to work, whatever. We all just do it. Then how am I supposed to be the spiritual leader and supposed to lead and to help and have vision and do everything? I'm also drifting all over the place, friends. The inheritance is found here in this house. That's my inheritance. Amen? I don't want to make an excuse for it. It is my inheritance. It's what I'm believing for. It's what God's doing right now in this church and what he's, it's because we're praying. Friends, I'm the one that's got the time to spend hours and hours and hours in prayer. I'm the one that's got the time to fast and pray and to seek the face of the Lord and to ask him whatever. When you're out there working, friends, that's a benefit, not a negative. Come on. It's saying, listen, I trust you. Friends, you've got to trust your leader. If you want to be part of a family, you've got to say, listen, I trust him, friends. And that means if I trust him, I trust him with everything. That's why we do family together. That's why it ticks me off with the, the Google and with YouTube and with uh, preachers. Because you can go listen to anything you want to out there, friends, but you don't know those people. 
They can speak anything. You can have a person who can talk a whole lot of garbage and can be, oh, I like this, let me side with that. But you don't know his life, you don't know his journey. Friends, I live among you. You can come to my house, you can see what car I drive, you can see what, how I live, what I do with my life. Friends, I journey amongst you. That's why it's so important that you've got to trust and you've got to walk a journey, friends. That's why he's telling us, yeah, it's a relationship. You've got to trust God. You've got to trust the person that has spiritual oversight over you. You've got to trust them. You've got to say, okay, I trust you. And then, yes, the minute I buy the Ferrari, you can come straight into my office. <laughs> but, friends, you can't throw out the word of God because there's been abuse. And, of course, there's been abuse. There'll always be abuse because that's the enemy tries to do the trick. See what they're doing here. See that guy's getting wealthy. He's doing this, that, he's doing that, whatever. And I'm going like, we've got to get over that because there's a plan, there's a purpose there. I have a dream. We have a dream as 24-7. Not for Grant and Jane to get rich. For us to achieve all that God's called us to, friends. We have a piece of land that God wants to create in Abba. A place where a community of people can come, where we can actually have uh, uh, jobs where we can have work, friends, work and places, friends, where that are, are make a profit. We're not intimidated by profit. We make a profit, friends. The people that can come and they get trained, they get taught Jesus, they, they, they get transformed their lives so they can go out there. So they not only go out there and preach the gospel, but they have the tools to go out there into the economy in the situation, the circumstances. They heed him, they rise above all of that. But everyone else is looking around negative and saying, oh, well, you can't really get a job. Unemployment's rising, whatever. And then when we train these guys and they can go out there and they rise to the top, cream. It's a dream. Friends, how does that dream happen? Is when the people of God are delighting themselves with their finances to the Lord, when their whole life is given to God. Not to me, to God. My ruffling. Let me end with this. Nowhere does the New Testament command or instruct us to tithe. As New Testament believers, we do not live our lives according to a set of commands. Galatians 2.20, the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loves us and gave his life for us. For in the gospel, a righteous... Uh, uh, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness which is by faith from first to last. Because as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 5 verse 6, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So we don't live by commandments. We live by love. And love is expressed through our faith. Right? Christian life is lived by faith in Jesus Christ. I live the same faith that my father Abraham had, faith in God's covenant of grace, a covenant of undeserved favor and unmerited blessing. Here's a statement. Like Abraham and Jacob, tithing is not a commandment I am compelled to obey. Rather, it is a natural and normal response of a heart that has had a revelation of who God is. A heart that understands the gospel of grace a heart of gratitude towards a God who has blessed me and promised to continue to bless me, a heart that wants to honor Him with everything I have, a heart that wants to see the house strengthened on the earth and His city standing strong and secure, His priesthood successful and prosperous, His kingship extended and established throughout the earth. That is my statement of faith this morning. What God wants to see and have for every single one of us. 
is that we were not born again just for ourselves. We were not born again just to go to heaven. Otherwise, it would have been an incredible shoot system. We were born again, friends, to be transformed, to be his hands and his feet, to be his body in this earth. We were born again and transformed, friends, to establish and to build a city, a house for God to come and dwell, a place where heaven and earth meets. We were born again, friends, to be part of that family of God where we could actually be built up and established together as his home, friends, and where we could influence a community where allow his sonship, his rulership, his kingship to influence and to change people's lives. And that city and that place, friends, God established uh, certain um, functions that operate in that place, friends. One of the functions is eldership. One of the functions is deaconship, friends. That's a place where those people begin to operate spiritual service and spiritual government, Right? In order for that to operate, friends, we have to contribute. We, we, we've got to give our life meaning other than taking care of my little family somewhere. Amen? So what happens, friends, is that now the picture of God, the vision of God becomes our focus. And then now the striving, friend, isn't to me to be, I want to become full-time. The thing for me is that I want to influence my sphere of influence and I want to bring those people into the city of God. I want the city of God to be strong, to be healthy, to be vibrant. I want it to be a light on a hill. I want people to see it and I want it to shine, friends. So now as a church, friends, as God begins to speak, as God begins to give us direction, give us vision, friends, we have to understand, friends, as he gives us vision, as he gives us direction, as he shows us, uh, he, now we, we want to strengthen this house, we want to build this house, we want this house to be a light. Friends, every single one of us delighting in the Lord and our response to who he is and what he has promised, friends, there has to be a river that has to flow, friends. It's not just going to happen. I love with the young people last night, whatever, we were there. It was just, oh, it was lovely. I was rejoicing afterwards. I love they were just sharing and chatting. They had taken this hole, all that you see this morning. They, take, they took all of this and they put it in Hebrews and they set it up and cable tied things. Luke, was did the sound and people and everybody who was involved, just they set it up, friends. And then this morning, I just arrived here, friends, and it's all set back here. Bing! This is incredible. Should have seen. They all stood there. Oh, shandalakati arabasan. And it just went, and it landed. No, it doesn't. It happens, friends, because people put their hands and their feet to it. They committed to the vision, the plan, the purposes. They're laying down their lives for this thing. That's what God's called us to be bigger than ourselves. So why am I sharing this? Not to ruffle feathers. What I'm sharing this, friends, is that the response of our hearts is simply to flow a tenth of our income into what God is trying to do. And then it's not embarrassing for the person who's leading the church or whatever in there to actually take his salary from that. Right? If you're, any of you are uncomfortable with that, please come and chat to me. And I'm not saying this morning that if you're not in a place where you are tithing, that suddenly, oh, this is a heavy on you, naughty, naughty. I'm saying it's a response and it's a heart to God. It's something that should be the desire of our heart. We should be working towards it. Right? Just saying, you know what? I want to honor God. I want to not let me have an argument about it. I wonder if it is actually no and it's not. And I think it's law and it's grace. Friends, what I've just taught you now has got nothing to do with the law. It's not even compulsory. That's letting a lot of people off the hook. That's dangerous to say that. Because <laughs> some people, that's all that's holding them to it. They're stuck in Malachi. 
I'm stuck in Revelations, friends. I'm stuck that he wins. I'm stuck to the end of the day. I want this house, not because it so it shows me off. It's so it shows him off. Friends, we've got a whole big house here. This could be filled with people. I want this house filled. Why? So the sphere of influence. So, that we, so God's house is a shining light, a city on a hill. All of that, friends, will take finances. It takes every single one of us. Oh, no, I, I can't do uh, You're asking me, it's a burden on me. No, friends, the beautiful thing about this is he asks you to give where you're at. Well, I only earn a thousand rand. Thank God. He just said, give me 10%. Well, I earn a hundred thousand rand. Well, he told you to give 10,000 rand. It's not a heavier load on anyone else. It's just simply he's saying, listen, it's a and it's a response to knowing him, friends. If I've, if I've got a challenge with that, friends. Adam and Eve had a challenge about the tree that they couldn't have when they had all the other trees. The reason why they had a challenge with that is because the devil said to them, God is lying to you. you, you you're going to get something robbed from you. That's why they had a challenge to that, friends. They didn't know God. I'm saying majority of people in the church today, the reason why they don't tithe is because they don't know God. And I'm, I stand before you here today as, as a, not selling you something that I'm, I don't live. I live this. In fact, I, I find it an embarrassment to just give 10%. This is me personally, no, not anyone else. So I try and give more. Sometimes to Jane's horror. But the reality is, friends, we, are, we, we can't get caught up in this. We've got to delight ourselves in the Lord. And that's why I'm not putting a heavy on anybody. Please, if you're in a deep hole situation, whatever, and you can, I don't know how to do this, whatever, and then I'm saying just delight yourself in the Lord. I'm not asking, saying to you, you you're being naughty or whatever, because that's the whole point. It's not compulsory. This isn't naughty and nice. This is a response to who God is and what He does in our lives. Friends, there isn't any excuse because it's not a formula. It's a response. So all I'm asking the church is what we're going into, and I have journeyed this thing for quite a while now. What we're going into is I'm about to share in two weeks' time the vision of this church, which is massive. And it can either crush you (laughs) or you can sit there and go, wow. It can either make, put some guilt on you or duty on you or can go, Wow. Wow, Lord, you are awesome what you're doing. I want to come into line with what you're delighting in and doing. And just, wow, because we've got an incredible piece of land down the road, if you didn't know, 1.7 hectares. And, um, you know, I felt the Lord sp- tell me, sell- he said to me, sell it. And he said, how much? Oh, five million. And I thought, I've got this thing waxed, man. I'm going to get five million into this church and we're going to be cooking. And I spent the last two years with people coming along, trying to sell me dummies and con me and trying to manipulate whatever and for this amount, that amount and this and blah, 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 whatever and that, fighting, whatever and that and even our finance team sitting there, should we just take it rather than just, let's just take it, no, whatever and I'm fighting going, Lord, I thought you said that, I thought this was be easy. Eventually coming to the point where I don't know what the heck's going on till, till what, you know what we had to do on our land now recently and, um, and then I'm sitting there on the land and just, uh, to be honest with you, crying. And I just felt the promises of God begin to just come, come out from the ground. And I, I began to dream again. This is our land. This is our inheritance. I'm prepared to give it up for money. Father, like the Lord says the test. And I failed the test, but he, he passed the test. Because I'm telling you right now, if a guy had come along and give me five million rand, I would have sold it now. It would be gone. I would have taken the money. 
But I won't make that mistake again, friends. There is a vision and a plan for this church, and I am prepared to give my life for it. What I'm saying to the church is not to manipulate you and, hey, give, me, give us money. I'm saying give your life. Give your heart. We're trying to build something here, strengthen a city in this, in this place. When I go to be with the Lord one day, I want to be able to say we strengthened Jerusalem. We strengthened the city, a place where heaven and earth meets, a place where the priesthood thrived. And that's why I want to encourage you. My, my journey and my encouragement to you is not to become full-time. You are full-time. My responsibility and my journey is to encourage you and strengthen you in your place of influence, your sphere of influence where your gifting is, to not bury your treasures, but to let them explode and grow and develop, friends. And as they explode and as they grow and develop, and I said this, and Krista, we said this last week, and I shared this, I do feel we're moving into a season of incredible prosperity. But friends, it's too late when the money is hitting you that you have to now change your heart. You have to have the right heart. We're a river, not a dam, friends. God wants to bless us so we can flow so that the kingdom of God can be established. I'll throw this out as a tidbit. I'm gonna preach this somewhere along the line. Do you think Jesus was some kind of transient uh, homeless man who just had a set of clothing, whatever, and washed it when he came to the rivers every now and then, what have you, and he traveled around with a 12 bunch of vagabonds? <laughs> do, we, do we think like that? He's talking about Jesus here, Right? talking about a man who's actually walking along and he forgot Judas wasn't with him during that time. Uh, I don't know why, whatever. He's with Peter, whatever, and that. And somebody pops out of the bushes, ooh, poll tax. Says, here, yeah, you're gonna have to pay some tax. Hey, you guys, you'll need to pay some tax. And Jesus says, hey, listen, Peter, just go down to the, the Sea of Galilee there. Just throw your rod out. First fish that you catch, just open its mouth and pull out the bucks. My mother all told me that money grows on trees. It doesn't, it grows in fish's mouths. <laughs> So here's Jesus. Can, can you ask yourself the simple question? Yeah, a guy, he takes out the money, he says, here's the tax and what have you, just out the fish's mouth. You've got to ask yourself this question. Sorry, this is just me on another nutshell quickly. It's just simply this. Did he, did he swallow the money? Or was it lying on the, on, the, on the seabed? Did he swallow it? Or did the money just appear in his mouth? I'm just saying simply this. He asked me to cast out in the first fish that he caught. If I was Peter and I knew that, I'd be carry on fishing. Because I'm telling you now, if God can do it for one fish, he could do it for thousands, right? So we've got to ask ourselves these kind of questions. We've got to say, here's a guy who actually just caught a fish and pulled money out of it. It's not a rabbit out of a hat. This is this guy. We're talking about this guy. This is a guy that we love and serve. He's invited to a wedding, and his mommy's sitting there, whatever, and that, and the wedding make a debacle of an of a order, and that they ordered far too much wine, far too little wine. I must know that, appreciate that, that. You, there's got to be enough wine at a wedding. So what happens is, is, uh, is now suddenly, oh, it's going to be embarrassment, all of that. And then his mom's sitting there and nudges him and says, just to this, do what he tells you to do. You've got to ask yourself a question. Did she know something we didn't? Okay, I'm being naughty now, okay? So just take it. Uh, is, I wonder what was happening at home. But how about this? Here's Jesus, and he skips planting, he skips growing, he skips a harvest, he skips crushing the grapes, and he skips fermenting. And he instantly turns water into wine. And when the guy drinks it, he says, flip. <laughs> In Jewish. <laughs> 
and he says, this wine, this wine is the best. He skipped everything and the wine was the best. Man, I'm telling you, Niederberg, eat your heart out. The truth of the matter is, friends, that's our Jesus. Come on. He, he turned the fishing industry upside down. Fishing industry, friends, it was a very up and down. If you've ever fished, if you've ever gone out to deep sea fishing, I love fishing, and you go out deep sea fishing, friends, you can go out there and you can get, uh, like I have, lose your hair and get bald from being burnt by the sun and catch zipper. And you can go out there, friends, and you can catch everything that moves. It's, it's just, that's the fishing industry. Jesus comes and revolutionizes the fishing industry. And believe me, fish equals Cash. They've been fishing there and all that, and then he says, no, no, guys, why don't you just fish, uh, throw your nets on the other side? Oh, come on, man. You're not a fisherman. You're a carpenter. Come on. <laughs> oh, okay, let's just throw it out. Whoa, shoosh. Call the partners. Partners come both, boats sinking with all the catch. Friends, that's a sherbet load of money. What I'm trying to say is that our mindset about Jesus is so, he's the same guy that took five loaves and two fishes and made it into a massive stadium industry of 12 baskets left over. That's the same Jesus. You think he has difficulty with uh, sorting out finances and helping? Friends, this isn't a guy who's short. I'll throw this out very quickly too. The Bible says he became poor so we become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 9. When it says he became poor, please don't think of Jesus as your understanding of poor. Remember he came from heaven where gold is so pure there it's like see-through. Where there's gates that are one gate is one pearl. See, you've got to ask yourself the question, if God's got a problem with wealth, then heaven is a one evil place. He came from extreme wealth. See, I want, over the next little while, I want us to kill the poverty mentality, but I want us to understand what wealth means. Because God wants things to flow through our hands right now that you, you, only, you, only God knows how much he wants to. But friends, you can put him in a manger, but you can't put the manger in him. He came from heaven, friends. When he came down to this earth and he laid everything down, he might have been poor in terms of heaven, but he was not poor. Friends, when he died, people were casting lots and fighting over his clothing because it was seamless it was one serious suit he even had his own financial director he was a skabenga and was stealing from him but and he and he knew that but he had judas who took care of his money box it must have been some the bible says there were a whole bunch of ladies i love that a whole bunch of ladies supporting his ministry is that awesome Oh, we could talk about this, but just the reality of what I want to say today is let's, let's let the Word of God richly dwell within us. Let's let Him be the umpire of our hearts and our peace. Not all the other stuff. I don't care who you've Googled and what have you. You need to go and to put your eye, Google, onto the Word of God. And you need to just read this and let God richly dwell inside of you. And then you've got to say, Lord, do I trust 24-7? And do I trust Grant and Jane? Because if I trust them, then I'm going to plow my life and everything into that. Can I just use a silly example quickly and just say, I was driving up the road here. 
as I'm driving up the road, I'm looking across. We're blessed. We've got a whole bunch of churches around us. As I was driving, I was looking at God First who having their first service, which was 8 o'clock. And as I'm looking across at God First, there was a lady. She was dressed to the T. She had high heel shoes on, whatever, makeup, whatever, beautiful. But she was cold. It was early morning, so she had a big coat on. Then she had her security jacket on, and she was holding a sign. And as I drove up and I pictured that, I said, man, only in the kingdom of God. Because she looked like, friends, she could employ seven people to do that. And why would you come so early in the morning and stand there parking and people coming up, whatever, and you kit it out to the T, whatever, you're holding a sign. I don't know what the sign says. Jesus loves you, I don't know. Or this way for all those that are wealthy. No, no. <laughs> it was just a, a sign. But I'm saying, she's committed, man, to that church. She's waking up early, she's putting on her jacket, whatever, putting on her little nice little, I mean, it clashes with her color scheme and her hair and everything, but she's putting on that security jacket thing and she's holding that sign for Jesus. And I'm saying God's got a plan, a purpose for this church, he's got a vision, and it's for us to just get alongside and say, yes, I'm for this. And yes, does it cost? Of course it costs, friends. But it's worth it, you worth it. For the kingdom, one day you're gonna stand before him, Friends. What you've done, and I want to encourage every single one of you, that if you stand here today and you've got it all together, and you're actually quite strong and sharp, whatever, I want to tell you, you've come to the wrong church. Because I've gathered around and I stand with my hand first up, man, I've got many faults, many weaknesses, but I love being around people that actually also have many faults and many weaknesses. Because I know when I'm weak, he's strong. And I know when we're weak, then he's strong. And I know that he wants to breathe life over something that for me I thought was heading, was there any life left? And I love that he could speak and talk about Lazarus like that. But this is for the glory of God. And I want to tell you that God's going to do something in 24-7 for his glory that you will have, your mind cannot conceive. But it's going to take a group of people, silly group of people, weak group of people, funny group of people, not good, just weird group of people that is going to come together. Uh, but they're incredibly good looking, you are. <laughs> and we're just going to be committed. And we're going to actually be the ones that are going to put our hands up and say, I'm prepared to stand there and do this and do that. I'm prepared to do this and do that. I just want to get involved, whatever, and that. And my whole life is involved there. Everything, my finances included. And I'm going to see God do something miraculous and wonderful. And it's going to cause our sphere of influence to grow and to develop. And we're not going to live under the shadow of some massive building. We're going to live on our own piece of land. Not literally live, but we're going to go there. <laughs> and we've got things happening and life, and, we, and it's just life, and it's beautiful. Amen. Shall we stand? Thank you. I want to encourage us as a church, and I'm going to say this. Now, I've been incredibly blessed by the young people in the life of the church as they've just God's been doing an amazing thing there. There's an anointing right now on the young people of the church. I don't know if you do understand that, church. And we want to blow wind in their sails right now. So I just want to acknowledge and honor, and, and, and it doesn't make the rest of us all old or insignificant. I'm just saying we see things and we want to just bless them and, and honor them. And, and as God's been changing lives, and, and it was so wonderful, by the way, and I hope you don't mind me just using it. It was so wonderful to have a couple come in last night. They were celebrating with us with the praise and, and worship, whatever, and that. And then they, they kept giggling and just couldn't get over the incredible transformation of, of Damien and that he got saved and whatever. And I'm like, I love this when people just giggle and go, really? That's the same guy? No, it can't be the same guy. Oh, your, give me your, where's your ID book? I want to see, I can't, you know, it's just, and I'm like, so wonderful. And then 
the reality is, uh, and like Matthew and, and, and you guys and, and just the guys coming in and, and God transforming their lives and the young people, and it's wonderful, I'm celebrating it, and then they're coming to me, friends, and then they're tithing. And then the next month after they've tithed, all hell breaks loose. And then you've got to sit there as a pastor and say, you know what? Don't tithe. Just forget it was all a load of rubbish. I have to sit there and I have to say, you know, it's worth it. The kingdom is worth it. It costs, but he will honor his word and it will prevail. Man, and then to stand with us. And you see, that's why we're a community of believers. You've got to go stand with us. So what I'm saying to you today is don't go out there and go, you know what, I'm going to tithe from now on. All great. And you know what's going to happen? I'm telling you, I'm going to get that Ferrari and I'm going to, I'm telling you right now that the enemy is going to test you the minute you do. He's going to find out whether you're doing it as a formula, whether you're doing it from your heart. Were you doing it in a relationship to God or a response to God, or were you doing it in a response to try and fix a problem or a situation? Friends, I have tithed my, my whole life since I was 13 years old, and the only reason why I have tithed is because of a response to Him. Can I tell you that it works or doesn't work? It's got nothing to do with working or not working. It's got nothing to do with law. It's nothing to do with me in bondage. It's got simply to do with the reality of I respond to who He is. He's such an amazing God. I just want to give Him everything. Amen. He's like a God in our lives, friends, that actually invited us to come stay at his estate down the road. See the lakes? <laughs> and, he's, um, and there's mansions for every single one of them. Mansions, massive things, and there's lakes for fishing and all that, whatever, and he's invited us for that. But this is a short period now where we actually have just gone on holiday to Cape Town. And he paid for the airfare to Cape Town, and he's paid for the place at Cape Town. He's paid for everything in Cape Town. And uh, uh, when we're down there in Cape Town, whatever, and that, we've got... We, we've got our own little thousand rand, whatever, and he says, well, 100 rand of that is mine. And we go, what? Would you do that, friends? Would you be there telling the Lord, hey, why is 100 rand yours? Uh, I'm sorry, so you're going to live with me for the rest of your life? I've got this mansion, I've got this place in there, and you're just down here for a short while. I paid for the, the, the place, I paid for the accommodation, the flights down there, the everything, whatever, and now I'm asking you for 100 rand, and you're saying to me, why, what are you doing? Come on, we wouldn't. Let's be honest, we wouldn't. But that's the reality is, friends, we're talking about 80, 90 years here, and we're talking about eternity. We're talking about one day, it might not mean anything to you right now, but one day you're going to stand before the Lord, and you're going to find you've got wood, hay, and stubble, or you've got silver, gold, and precious stones. My heart's desire is that my job is to make sure you've got gold, silver, and precious stones. Amen? It's going to count one day. It's going to be important. might not be important now. It's going to be important one day. So come on, we're just asking the Lord to come work on our hearts. So I'm just going to pray. We're going to work on our hearts, and we're not going to take up another offering. You're free. Right? Because this is not a response in terms of the law. It's a response in terms of a relationship with God. I want you to know God. So Father, I want to ask today, Lord, that I've spoken quite long. It's been quite a long service. But the reality is I don't want to make this some kind of flippant thing, Lord. And it doesn't end now. It's a journey of our heart and of our life, Lord God. And I know that there are people sitting here today. And you might have given your last little bit. But I want to tell you today that Jesus sat and he watched a widow give her everything. And he did not scold that widow. He did not even say that she's stupid. He said, she's amazing. It's going to be remembered as a testimony because she gave everything. Friends, there's nothing that you give God that God won't give back to you, pressed down, shaken together. He said, in this life, whatever you give, you'll get it back a hundredfold. In this life. Unfortunately, he added a couple of words. He said, with persecution. So the reality is, friends, we don't tithe to get out of persecutions. <laughs> And we don't tithe to get out of anything. We tithe at a response. 
of the nature and the character of God. But if you've been hurt by finances of the church, I mean, I stand on behalf of the, of the leadership of the church, of all, and to say to you, I, honestly, I, I, can, I can't apologize enough. But man is weak. And he messes up and he makes mistakes and he does stuff that's not helpful to the kingdom of God. But I wanna ask you from the cry of my heart, it's a plea from my heart today, that not, don't let that dictate what you do and what you follow. Follow Jesus. Every one of those examples, Jesus comes in. Every one of those examples, it's a response to Jesus. I want to ask today that you would respond to Jesus. I'm asking today that you would delight yourselves in the Lord with your finances. I'm asking today as the leader, Jane and I, of this house to trust us to be faithful with your finances. Because we want to see the kingdom come. We want to see God's will done. We want to see the kingdom go out to nations and people's lives touched and changed. Just like every one of our life was touched and changed. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take all the rubbish that I've said, Lord, and you would just burn it up and remove it. But everything that I've said, which is the word of God, which is truth, which is real, I ask that you would come and allow it to take root in the soil of our hearts, Lord. Because we're about to embark on the greatest journey of our lives. There is a vision. There is a dream. God has a dream for 24-7 church. And you're in it. God has a dream for 24-7 church and you are a vital part. You are a living stone. He wants to build his house. And it's built around the cornerstone, Jesus. I ask that you would allow him to come by his Holy Spirit even right now and begin to do a work in your hearts and lives. Let him reveal to you truth. Get to know truth so that it can set you free. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No heaviness just simply a revelation. Let God become your revelation. The book of Revelations is about Jesus. He becomes the revelation of who He is. He's our everything. Everything that's been said this morning, God speaking to you today. You've been battling in your business. You've been depressed. Circumstances, situations have been trying to get you down, batter you. All the voices just making you heavy, weighty. God's wanting to remove all of that. He wants to breathe his breath into you. He wants the army to arise. It's just been waiting for his breath. Do you know that after that, Ezekiel prophesies and they step into their inheritance? Do you know that? We're about to step into our inheritance church. Let Holy Spirit breathe on you. Let him fill you so that you can arise. Begin to believe him. He is so attracted to your weakness. His power is made complete in weakness. When we are weak, He is so, so strong. Let's give Him our weakness. Let's acknowledge our weakness, but let's not stay there. Let's to believe that He can transform everything in the name of Jesus. Father, will you do whatever you need to do in every one of our lives this morning? And I thank you that no person would leave you under any guilt or condemnation or confusion. They would leave lifted up. They would leave exalted. Bible says, humble yourself and God will exalt you. James 4.10, 1 Peter 5.6. Humble yourself. Let's acknowledge weakness, acknowledge who you are and let him exalt you and lift you up.
in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that we were born for such a time as this. We were on the brink of destiny. Lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need